Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Postcards for the final episode in this series. Now, this week I'm really excited to be joined by the one and only Clara Ampho. So Clara is probably best known for hosting the mid-morning show on Radio 1, for doing red carpet interviews at film premieres and also for her TV coverage of festivals like Glastonbury. But she's also got some killer travel stories to share. So in this episode, Clara tells me about how Notting Hill Carnival inspired her love for music. She delves into her earliest memories of Ghana, the country where her parents were born, and she talks me through an unfathomably psychedelic photo taken in Tokyo. As always, you can see all of her photographs online. Uh, the link is in the show notes. I started by asking Clara how she's finding lockdown. For me personally, I have been extremely blessed to still be able to work. But I've spent a lot of time doing a lot of overthinking, if I'm being plain, if I'm being completely honest. Where are you? You're London. You're based in London, right? Yeah, so I live in East London, isolating alone, which I'm really happy about. <laughs> Just saying to a friend the other day, like, I couldn't think of anything worse than, being, <laughs> than living with somebody right now. Or, or like, you know, like, shout out to everybody who is in functioning, healthy relationships. I'm ve- I, like, I love it. And I'm very much here for... Uh, for still maintaining flirts and, and online dating in, you know, loving the time of Corona, as they say. But uh, I'm happy that I'm, I'm, I'm at least living by myself. I think, I think that's been the best option for me. <laughs> it's been a weird time. It's been a weird time for everyone. Yeah, man. But this is it. I think, yeah, it, it, exactly. So I think it's just been that thing of like sort of reaffirming, I guess, what maybe you, you already knew or being forced to confront what, you, what you've been trying to ignore because <laughs> what else are you going to do when you're stuck in the house? Do you know what I mean? That's it. And I guess that's, that's why we're doing this podcast. So we've, yeah, the idea is we want to give people a bit of escapism uh, when, <laughs> when they're locked indoors. Obviously, we're actually not locked indoors anymore, but um, there's still a lot of places we can't travel to. So should we go on to your first postcard? Sure. Which is a photograph of you... In Ghana, could you describe it to me in as much kind of vivid detail as possible? So I'm in Jamestown in Ghana and I'm playing table football against a group of four kids. They did beat me, but don't watch that. On the table football setup, there's a sign that says no gambling. And yeah, it's just very vibrant and very sort of... Um, this is a great sort of postcard for, for, for what Ghana is. I think it's just openness 
a friendliness. I mean, the Ghanaian catchphrase is a kwaba, which means you are welcome. Anywhere you go, people always say a kwaba, a kwaba, a kwaba. So you can just start playing table football with a bunch of kids and they will they will uh, entertain you. And what brought you there? Were you, were you visiting family? Absolutely. So I am Ghanaian on both sides. I visit Ghana quite a lot. Um, so Ghana is a place that is super, super, super fun around Christmas and um, New Year's Eve. Like it's like it's the place to be. I, I mean, you know, it has been said it is the the Miami slash Ibiza of West Africa. <laughs> like this year, well, like last year, going into ship in particular, was an absolute riot. And part of me almost doesn't want to go back because the last time I went was essentially so perfect. I mean, the, the thing about Ghana is that it is bursting with colour. That's what I, I love about it. Like, it's just bursting with heat. I mean, literally, the minute you step off the plane, your face is just assaulted with humidity. And I love it. I just, I love, I love landing at Kotoko Airport. I, I just, it makes me feel so good. Because even though I was brought up in the UK, I feel I feel as Ghanaian as I, as I do British, to be honest. There's just a whole feeling that I get when I'm there. I want to pick up on that in a moment. But first, there's something I have to ask because you describe Ghana as being like a West African answer to Miami or Ibiza. What's a night out look like for you in Accra? Yeah, the nightlife is it's crazy. Like you've got to pace yourself. So there's a really good spot in Ghana called Republic Bar, which is so cool. And that's like open like seven days a week and I have a really good karaoke night and it spills out to the street and like they serve absolutely lethal cocktails. Drink measures in Ghana are, <laughs> they're kind of obsolete to be honest. It's just a bit like, yeah, come on, come on, come on, drink, 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 drink. They've got this particular um, cocktail that's just got like, this has got pure ginger in it, I think like with rum and it will literally burn like the eyes out of your skull, but it's, it's, it's still quite fun to attempt to drink it. Yeah. What's the like, what's the music scene like in Accra? The music scene in Accra is incredible. I mean, it's always been there and it's not like it needs sort of like, you know, Western approval, but I'd be lying if I said it hasn't warmed my heart to see how the music of, I mean, of just of Africa in general, but particularly Ghana has just really picked up like worldwide. Like you saw in the last like Beyonce record, her sort of ode to her relationship with sort of exploring like sub-Saharan Africa. And like, you know, she she got some Ghanaian artists involved on that. I mean, like there's this guy called like Shata Wale and he's, he's sort of like a Ghanaian sort of like dancehall artist. He's like huge and his music was playing. They're loads. There's this kid called Cressy Arthur who's huge out there and like his music's like banging like you could just hear him out of ev- every single car. Another thing I wanted to ask you about was do you have any like earliest memories of, of travelling out to Ghana as, as a kid? Yeah, I remember the first time I went was during like the summer holidays and we went to go and stay in the village that my mum and dad are from. So it's a village called Jikiti 
and it's in the northern region of Ghana, so it's like the Volta region. And I remember it being a little bit of a culture shock because again, like going back to what I said at the start, like I definitely felt like, okay, this is my home, I belong here, but also I was a bit like, whoa, okay. This this is different because I just I wasn't I wasn't used to the the way of life that my parents had grown up in. I remember I went, we went back to the house that my dad was brought up in. I remember me and my little brother Chris and like four of my cousins all had to share a bed. <laughs> and like and the, the electricity like went out at a certain time. And I remember just being like, like, like but where where am I? Like just and just being a bit, yeah, just sort of feeling that sort of culture shock but also just loving it as well, you know, just sort of seeing this rolling fields of green and like just seeing like, you know, the Volta River and just tasting like fresh coconuts. People will literally climb up a tree and like get you out of my dad be like, yeah, hey, but like, you know, and, and, and it was just really like, wow, okay, this is part of who I am. And I think I didn't have quite the language to compute it at 11, 12 years old, but I just, I just knew that it was quite cool that I had this whole sort of second other life just outside of like hanging out at my local shopping centre. <laughs> Should we move on to postcard number two? Sure. Which is of you at the Notting Hill Carnival. Can you describe it for the listener? What's going on in this scene? So in the scene, I am um, stood outside a Trellick Tower with a massive, goofy smile on my face in a vintage... Machino, yellow, red and black ensemble, just saying it's the most wonderful time of the year because I genuinely have much more fun at Notting Hill Carnival than I do at Christmas. It's such a day of like vibrancy and peacocking and like showing out. And I just I just love carnival. It just it just makes me feel so happy. I think it's just that one day of the year where all the people that you've been meaning to see just happen to bump into each other. And I'm so gutted it's been cancelled this year. I mean, obviously it's understandable. And, it, and we, we all feared it, but we 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 were hoping there was a way that it could be salvaged, but alas, uh it's it's off. And what about when it returns? Hopefully next year. Do you think it will come back stronger? Absolutely. This is the thing. Everything that has been cancelled this year will only be sweeter next year. Because, again, when you... It's, this time has been, has been extremely bittersweet, but I think it's definitely that thing of when something has been taken away from you, out of your control, that you love to do, just for, like, you know, for pure liberation and for pure escapism, when it's offered back... You're going to run towards it. I mean, look how people were when the pubs reopened or when you could see your hairdresser again or whatever. It was like, oh, my God. Like, you see how people were so elated over that. So I think something like Carnival is going to be amazing. Oh, I can picture it already. But um, for the benefit of listeners who haven't been to Carnival before, can you describe that feeling of your first hour there when you get off the tube? Like, what are the sounds and smells and flavours of Carnival? So when you first touch road at Carnival, like you'll be hit with just everybody else's body heat as well as like the actual heat. But the first thing you will smell in the air, I mean, it's a very fragrant affair, (laughs) but uh, you'll be hit with the smell of the most well-marinated, well-seasoned, most delicious 
food you will ever smell in your life. And I think us as a nation should be forever indebted to people uh, from the Caribbean. We know this. Shout out to the Windcrush crew all day, every day for everything. But in 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 this in this context, for cu cuisine and music. It, it overtakes you, like the food just smells so good. Like, I always make sure I go to carnival hungry because I just, nothing beats some roadside jerk chicken with a side of coleslaw, like maybe some mac and cheese in there as well. It's the salt on the eyes and the ears in the best possible way because you're hearing people's like whistles blowing. You're hearing, you know, people's sound systems like booming. Like every corner is a sound clash essentially, because as well as as well as all the moving floats, you know, going through with all their dancers and all of that, people are blaring out music, you know, from their homes. People are burning out stuff from their phones, even though I'm just like, oh, I'm like, sure, you know, I contribute, but like, I'm not sure how loud your phone can be against like a proper sound system. And it's just amazing. And yeah, and just the colours. You know, it, it's like it's a photographer's wet dream. I mean, like you, you will see like any every person out there with a 35 mil camera thinking they're doing something different. But like, sure, how about it? At every every street corner is a gang of friends like taking a selfie. It's just a delight. I love it. Because obviously a radio DJ on Radio One, I wanted to ask if Carnival has been in any way kind of formative in you becoming a DJ or in your music tastes? Yeah, I think definitely going to Carnival formed a lot of my taste and I inherited a lot of my musical taste from my older brothers and particularly my older brother Andy he, he's been going to Carnival for years so like anything that he would listen to I would listen to and I, I you know I, I don't profess to be like a, a an expert on, on Jamaican music in particular and, and dancing music in particular but you know but, but I like what I like Jamaica as a country and just the the history of like bass music, like, you know, whether it's grime, Gary, like it, it, dubstep, you can, you can trace so many of its roots back to that country. You can, you can see the origins and it's so fascinating to see how it is, you know, just part, part, part of popular culture. Hearing you describe Carnival with such passion and colour, it actually brings me on something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is your podcast, This City. Um... Now, this is basically an interview show with a twist because you get your guests to take you behind the scenes of the London that they know and love, sharing their favourite places and the stories behind them. Uh, series one was launched in January, is that right? And you've, you've had everyone from Louis Theroux to Mark Ronson to the Sugar Babes on the show. I've been enjoying it a lot and I, I really wanted to know, is there more to come, Clara? Yeah, so I'm currently working on season two because, um, yeah, lockdown happened and, and I was a bit torn as to, oh gosh, do I want to, I mean, I know me and you are talking down the line as we speak, but, but I love to see people. I love to actually be face to face with people. And actually, and, and, and ironically, even when I was recording the podcast, I was socially, I was social distancing before it became a thing because everyone I spoke to, we were actually at least two metres apart anyway. But um, I prefer to speak to people face to face. We are working on, um, we're working on season two at the moment. But yeah, I think, I think what I've been so happy about uh, with all of the guests and what we say at the start of the podcast is that look whether you were born here or whether you've made it your second home I just want to I just want to know about your London story and I think we've been able to sort of have have those conversations um in it I mean I had um Nchuti Gatwa on the show who I love 
and uh, he plays Eric in the brilliant Sex Education. And his story was a London story, but it was via Rwanda and Scotland, which is a combination I think I'm, I'm not, not a lot of people are probably, you know, used to hearing. But then, like you know, I chat, had Louis Theroux on, on it and, you know, we had a really great conversation about him living in, like, northwest around, like, Halston and, and had a very open conversation about, you know, gentrification and him decolonising his, uh, his, his palette. <laughs> Gosh, who else did we speak to? I mean, we had Sugar Babes on, which I really enjoyed because, you know, we've got Mutia, who's, like, Filipino and Irish. Siobhan, Irish, Keisha, Jamaican, and like they all had like, their all sort of individual sort of stories. So, so it was it's it was been a really cool way to just sort of um, I guess explore the kind of immigrant stories in 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 London, which I've which I've really enjoyed, as well as people who were born and bred here who who aren't the sons and daughters of immigrants. So I've really I've really liked exploring that. So that yeah, there should be there will be more to come. I'm really glad to hear it, and for listeners who who do want to check it out search for This City wherever you're listening to this. Now, Clara, I'd like to touch on another aspect of your work. So as the listeners will know, you're a presenter on Radio 1. And in early June, you made a extremely powerful and really candid speech on your programme about the killing of George Floyd and the impact that it had on you as a person of colour. Now, obviously, this is a travel podcast. And so I was wondering... Looking through that lens, if your own experiences travelling have impacted your thinking on racism at all? Like, do you have experiences of countries where it's more or less of a problem than it is here in the UK? I'll tell, I'll tell you this. I don't know a single black person that hasn't Googled, like, OK, is it cool for black people around it? <laughs> like, before, it's just, it's just, it's just for me, in, in my circles anyway, like, it's just a conversation that, you know, that, that comes up and, like, you know, there, there are blogs and accounts that are set up specifically with 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 the black traveler in mind like there's a great collective that i follow called like travel noir who are really good and like you know if you look look at the hashtag like traveling whilst black and holidaying whilst black people do look up stuff because you know as as i mentioned when i when i did speak like anti-blackness is a global thing it's not just you know the us and it's absolutely not just the uk like anti-blackness is is global And, and i am very aware of that when I travel, like some places, it there is a genuine curiosity to blackness, and other places there's just an out, there's an out and out ignorance and, and an out and out hate towards you. So, you know, I, I, I remember one time I went to uh, Croatia, and in the space of about a week, I was called Michelle Obama, Janet Jackson, Wuffy Goldberg. And this guy just used to call me like Rasta like every morning in the space of like 10 days. But dude, that's what happens, man. Like that's, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a black person who has traveled outside of the UK to a country where they haven't been given some sort of reductive nickname based on a black celebrity or just being called a casual. I don't want to call it casual because there's, not, there's nothing casual about it, but... Uh, you know, a racial, a racial slur. It's, it's just the reality of of, of travelling. And I, but then I think also, but also depends where 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 you go because, you know, I went to Brazil a couple of years ago, and and you know, and there's there's definitely like anti-black racism in Brazil. Like I said, it's the global thing. But one one thing I love about travelling as a black woman is is seeing you know the different types of black people around all around the world and just and the beauty of us globally. 
And I remember just loving Brazil because I just I just saw so many stunning black people. I was like, wow, like I was just like, yeah, I love us. Like, you know, like just like gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous black people. Yeah, because I remember yeah, I went to, I went to uh, Rocinha uh, favela and, and loads of locals were like practicing uh, for the carnival and everyone was just really attractive. <laughs> My profound, my profound takeaway. But yeah, all, all the black people, all the black people in Brazil are like so hot, but like they are like, beautiful. Right. Well, it's now time for us to move about 10,000 miles west of Brazil and onto our third and final photo, which is, I think, unmistakably in Tokyo. And you, you were the friend, both sitting in the laps of what looked like giant robot models of Japanese computer game characters. Um, what on earth is going on here? So in this picture, I'm with my mate, Cobby, and we are at the uh, robot restaurant. So basically, it's, it's almost, it's like a cosplay setup. So you remember, I mean, everyone knows Power Rangers, old school kids TV show, I mean, it's, it's still going on. The robot restaurant is like that, so you, you will watch a full-on theatrical production. And it is absolutely incredible. They will create like these giant sort of like dinosaur monster type figures or like, I don't know, like an octopus on wheels or like a flying tiger or like a unicorn or whatever. And an actress or actor will be on top of it, like singing, you know, this overdramatic like uh, Japanese pop song to explain what's going on. And they'll stop, they'll act out a scene and like there's fighting and there's like pyrotechnics and there's like confetti cannons. Like, it's, it's it's, it's honestly, it's nuts. It's the bonkers side of Japan that that you're told about, and it's 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 insane. But it's it's so fun. How do you actually, how do you find Japan more generally? Because obviously, it's full of these kind of super intense futuristic experiences if you want to find them. But in, in other ways, it's a country that's steeped in tradition. I remember before I went. Uh, so I went in April of last year and my mate Greg from work, Greg James, hosts the old Radio 1 Breakfast show. Uh, he said Japan is like being in the past and being in the future all at the same time. And I was like, OK. And the minute I got there, I completely knew what he meant. It's, it's a country that has maintained its sense of tradition in such a beautiful way that there are some places that seem like they haven't been touched since maybe like, you know, 1950 in some cases, but it's also a country that is so far advanced with the simplest things that it just blows your mind. Like even even the loo, like they got singing toilets there, man. They're like, heat your bum. And like you can you can pick like you've got a selection of like twenty songs that you can listen to while you do your business or whatever. Like it's just mad. And like you know, even the train stations, people actually queue in single file to get on the train. There's no rudeness there, and it's just yeah, it's a stunning country. Something that I um, discovered in Japan was city pop, which I didn't know much about before. But it's basically. It's kind of like 70s slash 80s, almost like dis- funky disco that was kind of exported. It was, it was Japan's interpretation of what was going on in the rest of the world at that time. And it is so good. It's honestly like I got completely addicted to it and came back and only listened to it for months. 
But that's the thing, like all the subcultures in Japan are so are so fascinating. Like there was this one spot that I went to with my friend Shalin, who lives in Japan. So she, so she lives in Osaka, and she took me round lots of different spots. And there's this sort of like mall where basically every floor or every room has got a different theme. So you could like you could walk into like one room and it's like a Rocky Horror Show themed bar. And then you walk next door and then it's like, oh, we all want to dress up as uh, as giant cats in here. And then you walk into another room and it's like, oh yes, we we're all women who like to dress up as like businessmen. Like there's just a different scene like in every in every single door. It was it was it was again so bizarre. But just, just brilliant. Quite a nice way of describing it. I've read someone describe it as being like a cultural Galapagos. Exactly, a cultural Galapagos. That is that. Yeah, that's spot on. So this trip was last year, April of last year. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, as we start to emerge from lockdown and travel is now back on the cards again, is there anywhere that you're really fantasising of going to next? I'd like to go to Fiji. I'd like to go to Senegal. I've heard great things about Senegal. I'd really, really, really like to go. I mean, there's, I mean, look, there's so much of Africa that I, I want to visit. I really want to go to Egypt. Um, yeah, the, the, the list is kind of endless. And I rarely repeat countries. So I think once I've been somewhere and I've, I've, and I've locked it in, I don't feel the need to go go again. But there is something about Jamaica that I do love, and I would like to go back because I just it's just it's genuinely like quite magical. There's like there's a there's a mysticism in the air that I can't put my finger on. I've been there three times now, and I, and I and I probably will go for a fourth because I I just it's just a really stunning country. Clara, it's been a delight talking to you. Um, thank you for sharing your postcards. Love and respect. That was Clara Ampho. And that is a wrap for Series 1 of Postcards. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't heard what came before, we actually have six other episodes for you to get your teeth, or ears rather, into. You can take your pick from Kate Humble, Griff Rees-Jones, Marcel Theroux, Steve McCurry, Adia Depatan and Miriam Margulies. They're all, in my opinion, superb guests and well worth a listen. And they might, might be one more very special guest coming your way in just a few weeks time so stay subscribed to this feed and you won't miss that bonus episode but for now thank you so much for joining us on this world tour of the imagination while travel has been temporarily off the cards have a wonderful summer however you plan to spend it postcards is presented by greg dickinson and produced by pete norton and theodora laludis If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating and a review where you're listening or tell a friend about the podcast. And remember that you can see all of the photos discussed in this episode online via the link in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.